0: Well, amen. Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, as we continue our series on renewal. Thank you, team. Thank you, Dakota. So excited to have him with us and, and in the office this week. It, it was good not to be the only pastor on staff. That's always nice, too, you know. Um, so So happy that he is here with us. Romans chapter 12, as we continue this series. You know, for most NFL teams, including my Dallas Cowboys, their football season is over. 28 teams are done, Um, and only four remain. And for those 28 teams, they're already getting ready for the NFL draft. And many of them have been getting ready for some time. Uh, But the NFL draft is when the 32 teams of the NFL pick players that they believe will change their culture transform their culture, save their culture, help their culture for the better. And it's a time where most fans believe, including Dallas Cowboys fans, that this coming year is the year. Man, we got that player. This is is going to be our year. But here's some interesting facts about the NFL draft process. There are, for starters, over 1 million high school football players over one million, about 6.5% of them will reach the NCAA level. So out of the one million high school football players, only about 65,000 of them will reach the NCAA level. Division I, Division II, so on. Only 1.5% of the 6.5% will scrape the NFL. Less than a 1,000 players, remember you start off with over a million of high school players, but less than 1,000 will reach the NFL. And there's a very small chance that those who do make the NFL will not play longer than three years. As a matter of fact, of the 300 rookies who will make a team later this year, only 150 of them will reach year four. Knowing that, knowing those statistics, knowing those facts, it's understandable why teams will spend so much money, so much time and energy evaluating these players. It's said that teams, individual teams, will scout somewhere around 6,500 players in a given year, only to draft a handful. So if you're hoping, young ones, to make the NFL... Um, it's not looking good. But these teams will expend all this energy, time and resources on this process because they understand how crucial every position is within their organization and how difficult it is to find the right person for the right position at the right time. They understand that every player And every person within the organization, on or off the field, is crucial to their overall health and success, that every position matters, every person matters. If that culture or organization or team is going to be healthy and successful. But as the statistics show and as the process reveals, it's very, very difficult to find the right people for the right positions at the right time. But those who do, something special begins to happen. It used to happen to my Dallas Cowboys, but it's been like 28 years. But when you find the right people who are put in the right position at the right time, something special happens. And the church in that respect is no different. Thus far in Romans 12, Paul has urged us to completely give ourselves, our entire lives, to Christ. We're not to look like the culture. Instead, we're to look like Christ. We're to live not like the culture. We're to live like Christ. We literally are to be living sacrifices. Put ourselves on the table and say, Here we are, here we are, all of us. Paul says that we must be transformed transformed in everything. How? By the renewal of our minds. And that renewal in your mind starts with, as we saw last week, how you think about yourself. It's interesting, the progression there that Paul takes. It begins in the mind, and specifically it begins with how you think about yourself, how you view yourself. You want to live as a living sacrifice to God? You want to live like Christ? You want to be transformed by the renewal of your mind? Then don't think too highly of yourself, Paul says. It's not, as C.S. Lewis once said, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's remembering, as we saw last week, that self-exaltation always leads to humiliation. Humiliation. Now, Romans chapter 12 deals with a lot of the external, as we'll begin to see today, how we ought to live in community, how we ought to live service and live love and these kinds of things. But for Paul, that kind of life, the external, being conformed to the image of Christ, it begins with the internal. For Paul, the internal determines the external. Before we can get into spiritual gifts, before we can get into authentic loving community, There must come renewal. There must come internal transformation, the renewal of our minds. And where does that renewal start? It starts with, again, how we think of ourselves. It begins with how we think of ourselves, how we view ourselves. In verse 3 of Romans 12, Paul tells us how we ought not to think, as we saw last week. And he also tells us how we ought to think. So again, we must not think too highly of ourselves. We must not think that way. Instead, we must think of or view ourselves with sensible reasoning or sober judgment. In other words, who are we? What is man that God is mindful of us? Who am I? We must think, as we saw last week, like like John the Baptist, who says, listen, I'm just happy to stand next to him. I'm just happy to be included in the community of the followers of Jesus. I must decrease. He must increase. We must think like Jesus, who never used his God card, so to speak, to self-elevate himself over another. Instead, he served and laid down his life for others. We ought to think like that. And now that Paul has dealt with the internal, he's ready now to deal with the external. And this is what he says. Let's look at Romans 12. Let's go back to verse 3 again. We're going to read through verse 8. And this is what Paul says. He said, listen, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment or sensible reasoning in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We'll come back to that phrase in just a moment. Verse 4, for just as each of us has one body, one human body, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, we form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift, you have a gift, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Verse 7, if it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now, Paul loves this picture, this image of a human body and relating it to the church. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, like he does here, he relates the church to a human body. And there, like here in Romans 12, he says that every member, each one of us, is crucial to the overall health, growth, and success of the church. But why use the analogy of a human body? Well, as one of many sources said, the human body is made up of all living and non-living components that create the entire structure of the human organism, including every living cell, tissue, and organ. Now, think of the outside of the body. Outside of the body consists of five basic parts, the head, the neck, the torso, arms, and legs. However, beneath the skin, there are countless biological and chemical interactions that keep the human body, your human body, ticking, moving, going. Our bodies consist of, as one source said, consist of a number of biological systems that carry out specific functions necessary for everyday living. For example, the job of the circulatory system is to move blood, nutrients, oxygen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and hormones around the body. It consists of the heart, blood, blood vessels, arteries, veins. And according to the Cleveland Clinic, the human body's network of blood vessels, veins, and capillaries is over 60,000 miles long. Paul's point is this. Think about the human body. The outside parts, the inside parts, the seen, the unseen parts, and all that is necessary. All the individual members and parts of the body. For that human body to be alive, to be healthy, growing, and successful. Think about that. Imagine that. And then apply that image to the body of Jesus, the church. The community made up of those seeking to follow Jesus and the way of Jesus. You, as a new creation in Christ who belongs to God's church, you specifically are one member within one body designed not by us but by God Himself to serve that body using at least one spiritual gift. In which God has graciously given to you. So again, let me say that. You, specifically, are one member within one body designed by God to serve that body using at least one spiritual gift in which God has graciously given to you. Understanding, as Paul says here, that you belong to all the other members. It's as Peter said in 1 Peter 4. He said, God has given each of you a gift. Every one of you in Christ has a gift. And he's given it to you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them. Use them well to what? To serve one another. Use them well to serve one another. Now, most of us know this. Most of us know, yes, I have a spiritual gift. Yes, I'm to use that to serve the church. We know this. So why is it then that the church in general is lacking so many of its servants? Why are so many of us left disconnected and not plugged into our position doing what we must do for the overall life, health, growth, success of the church? In other words, why are so many ears, mouths, Eyes, legs, fingers, missing. I think in many ways it comes down to two things. First, many of us are not directing our gifts towards serving the church. But we're directing our gifts towards serving ourselves. We're not directing our gifts towards serving the church. Instead, we're directing our gifts towards serving ourselves. A few years ago, it it was a Saturday when we were at our last church, and I was in charge of getting the donuts organized for the next morning. We know about donuts around here. It's a very hot topic of conversation. And so I was in charge of getting donuts set up for Sunday morning, and it was a Saturday, and I knew what we needed. I knew how many donuts, I knew what kind of donuts, I knew what we needed, I knew the need. And I possessed the tools and the means and the resources to get what we needed. In other words, I had what we needed to meet the need namely, money, my phone, and cell service. I had all that I needed to meet the need, but then I went to dial the number. And I dialed it, and it rang, and it rang. And it rang some more. And then finally, this automated voice comes on and says, this is not a working number. So I dialed it again. And it rang, and it rang, and it rang. The automated voice popped on and said, this is not a working number. Come to find out, I had everything I needed to meet the need, but I was dialing the wrong number. It didn't matter what I knew. It didn't matter what resources, skills, tools I possessed. All that I possessed was aimed in the wrong direction. Thus, all that expended time and energy and resources did me no good. Many in the church, we are dialing the wrong number. What do I mean by that? We know what the church needs. We, in most cases, possess the tools, the means, the resources to get or to provide what the church needs. We have all that we need to meet the need. But so many of us are taking all of that which God has given us, our time, our resources, our gifts, and we're expending it not on serving the church, but on serving our flesh. Serving worldly things specifically things meant to and created to gratify the desires of our flesh were aimed in the wrong direction this is why paul said this in galatians he said listen you've been called to live in freedom brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy or to gratify your sinful nature instead use your freedom to what to serve To serve who? To serve one another in love. It does us no good. We go nowhere. Nothing is accomplished. The ship just sits idle. The organization stumbles. The church becomes like a broken human body when we use our freedom and our resources and our gifts to dial the wrong number and to serve ourselves, to serve the cravings of the flesh. Remember, Paul has already laid this out. We need to change how we think, specifically how we think about ourselves. We're no longer to live like the world, but to live like Christ. And we're not to think too highly of ourselves. We're to think like Christ. We're to think like John the Baptist. And we are to serve the church. As one commentator said, the body of Christ, the church, can flourish only When every individual member and group within the church remains mindful of the good of all and thus sets aside individual interests for the sake of the common life and witness of the church. Listen, the answer is so simple, and it comes down to this. Whatever your gift, Paul is saying, serve the church. Not your flesh. Not the world the church. And Paul said also to do this in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this faith is not the faith tied to salvation. What Paul, in essence, is saying here is, think of it like this. He's saying, as the divine qualification for a task, or the spiritual power given to each Christian for the discharge of a special responsibility. In other words, God has qualified you, you specifically, and he's given you what you need in order to utilize the gift that he's given you to serve his church. So think of it like this. There is a scene in It's a Wonderful Life, this classic Christmas movie we often watch, where George, Bailey, and Mary have just gotten married, and there's a big celebration, and they're leaving. They get in the car, and they're going off on their honeymoon, and it's revealed that they have $2,000 to spend on their honeymoon. There's excitement there. They're going to spend it on great, grand things, and, and as they're leaving, though, there's a run on the banks. Everybody's wanting their money out of the banks, but the banks shut down. So the car stops because George then recognizes outside his building and loans office is a crowd of people waiting to get in to get their money. So he stops, he goes upstairs, and this is kind of the scene that you see, a crowd of people around him. They're all demanding their money. He says, listen, I, I don't have the physical money here in the building to give to you. And there's this chaos and arguments going on. But then Mary pulls out that $2,000, And what happens next is that George Bailey takes from his own bank of money and then individually distributes to each person a different amount. But it was an amount that they needed in order to sustain their lives and to get by. God has given you a gift. He's also given you what you need in order to discharge that gift For the betterment and the building up of, not yourself, but his church. And he does does this out of his great bank of grace and mercy. Therefore, what Paul is telling us is expend all your knowledge, all your good intentions and tools and resources and skills and talents. Expend it not on gratifying yourself, not on gratifying the desires of your flesh, and definitely not on the expectations hammered into us by the culture, but expend it on serving one another. So, overall, don't think too highly of yourself. Think with sober judgment, sober reasoning. Think like John the Baptist, think like Paul, think like Christ. And when you do, what naturally comes out of that, the expression of that disposition or way of thinking, is service. Serving the church. Using your gifts to serve the body of Jesus. Now, what is the second reason? Perhaps that's the first reason for some of us. We're just aimed in the wrong direction. But what is the second reason why so many ears, mouths, eyes, legs, fingers are missing? Again, first, some of us are not directing our gifts towards the church, but to ourselves. But for some of us, and I think this is where many of us fall, Many of us have absolutely no idea what our spiritual gift is. Or where do we even begin using such a gift in which God has given us? Knowing, exploring, and applying the spiritual gifts for many of us is just uncharted territory. We have no idea. But this is why I want to introduce you to a spiritual gifts test survey that I'm making available to all of us this is not a fix-all to anything. This is a step, a tool in the right direction. Because I'm convinced this survey will prove to be, to each of us, an opportunity, a step in the right direction to begin knowing, exploring, and applying the spiritual gifts in which God has given us. Now, it's an online test, which means we're going to be sending the link out via our text alert system, which if you're not in that, Then see us afterwards, we'll get you plugged into that. Also via email, also our social media platforms and so on. But some of you say, I don't even want to deal with online stuff, what do I do? Then you can come by the church office at any time and we will set you up to be able to walk through the test and we'll help you with whatever you need help with getting this test and survey done. But as you go to this link and as you get to the website, this is what you're immediately going to see. This is what you'll see here on the screen, the first thing you'll see is questions. And you'll go through these questions. There's like a hundred questions. And there's a lot of different other resources out there, a lot of different other surveys and tests that you can do. But this is the one I'm making available to all of us. And you can go through these questions and you'll answer them. So like the one on the screen, the first question is, I have a consuming passion, strong desire, great concern to reach people who don't know Christ. So that's the statement. And then, how I'll answer that is I click on either almost always, I have that, occasionally, or just not very often. So, almost always would be like nine times out of 10, I have that passion. Occasionally, it would be like, yeah, four or five times out of 10, I have that passion. Not very often would be like, one time out of 10, do I have that passion. And so, you go through and answer all of these questions. And after you answer them, it'll bring you to this page, and you just Simply set up an account, which is just your name, email, that kind of stuff. Again, if you need help with this, we will help you with this. But after that, it'll then give you the results. It'll show you where you scored on this spiritual gifts survey. Like in evangelism, or prophecy, or mercy, or shepherding. It'll show you the results. But the cool thing is, it'll show you your top three gifts that you scored on. And It'll tell you a little bit about your spiritual gifts, but then it'll tell you about these three specific top gifts. It'll tell you about that gift, but it'll also tell you about some things to be aware of or on guard of, some weaknesses that come with that gift. It'll also tell you how to be on guard of the evil one, how he might attack you if you have that gift. But then after the, the end of those results, it'll even tell you where are some ways or positions in which I can use this spiritual gift in the church. And then after that, it'll even tell you how you compare with other Christians who've taken this test and, and so on. But the survey's results will show you all these things. And they will be printable, they'll be shareable, they'll be savable. And I'm urging each one of us to share those results, especially with the staff, with Sunday school classes, with family, with teachers, with life groups. Because this survey will simply be a first step, an opportunity for great discussion. One-on-one, in classes, in groups. It'll be a tool for us to engage each of us, to encourage each of us, to use those gifts to serve the church if we are not already. And some of you may have the gift of, as Paul goes on here, some of you may have the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. The ability to communicate, revealed truth that will both convict and build up the church. Some of you may have the gift of service. The ability to minister to the material needs of believers in a very special way. Some of you will have the gift of teaching. Formal instruction and doctrine in order to give help in the area of Christian living. Some of you will have the gift of exhortation. It literally means the special ability to encourage. Some of you will have the gift of contribution. This special gift of yourself just giving of your time, your money, your resources to build up others. Some of you will have the gift of leadership, about using an office to serve, the ability to lead others. Some of you will have the gift of showing mercy, ministering especially to the sick and to the needy. Either way, Paul's point is, you have a gift given to you by God himself, and you're meant to use it. You are one member within one body designed to serve that body using at least one spiritual gift in which God has graciously given to you. So expend all your energy, time, and resources on this process because we have to think like an NFL team. We must understand how crucial every position and every person within the church is. Is to the overall life, health, growth, and success of the church. No person can be left behind. We must believe that every position matters, that every person matters, that every gift matters. And when the right people are in the right positions at the right time, God brings about something very special. It's kind of like an orchestra coming together. And you have all these different instruments, different people, different backgrounds, circumstances, different skill sets. By themselves, they sound great. But together, something special happens, something brilliant, something beautiful. That is what God is calling his church to. You're one member within one body, designed to serve that body using at least one spiritual gift in which God has graciously given to you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And for some of us during this time of invitation, our prayer may simply be, Lord, reveal to me the spiritual gift in which you've given me. Use this spiritual survey. Use others in my family. Use others in my class. Use others in the church to help me see that spiritual gift. For others of us, our prayer might be, Lord, open up the doors for me to use that gift to show me the platform, to show me the situation, to show me the opportunity in which I can use that gift to serve the church. And for others of us, it's simply praying, Lord, through your Spirit, your Word, and the church, help me use my spiritual gift that you've given me, and to use it well. And then finally, it may just be saying thanks. Thank you for allowing me to be a member of your body. Thank you for the gift that you've given me. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you and your church. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me. And as I pray, if you need to come, just pray these steps. If you need to come and talk about any other decision, salvation, baptism, church membership, you just need prayer. You come forward even as I pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your words. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would recognize that you have given us a gift. And the ability to use that gift in and through your spirit, your word, the help of others, to use that gift to serve and to build up your church. Lord, whether it's through a survey, talking with others, help us to see what our gift is. Help us to see how we can use that gift. would help us to, to use that gift well, to serve well with that gift. But Lord, give us a sense and a heart and a mind of gratitude. Thank you for how you have brought new life into us. We thank you for your church. We thank you for Jesus and your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to serve one another. In Christ's name I pray, amen. As we sing, you guys come forward if you need to.